people want to bitch and moan in this industry about, oh, that's so tough. It's so okay. What's tough? Like, you want to hop into a service van and go repair HVACs for a living and make a hundred grand a year, cutting up your knuckles and going into people's disgusting basements to fix HVAC units? Go ahead. You're not going to cut a living like this. You're not going to be able to work on a beach on the other side of the world and talk to your client. You're just, no matter which way you slice it, this is mm -hmm. bar none the best industry to be in when it comes to compensation versus time. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have the notorious Rob Campbell. I've known Rob for a long time, and he is one hilarious guy to chat with. We talk about some advice for new mortgage brokers. We talk about some of the challenges that he sees and we see in the next year. We ask him about how he recharges. So like what kind of things do you do to recharge, you know, when you're not doing mortgages or creating memes and also how you to stay motivated. It was sort of a, just a great conversation with a guy who's been in the industry a long time and seen lots of ups and downs and always entertaining, enjoyed my conversation with him. Also in this Ask the Expert segment, I have Ruben from Dita.ca talking about how to protect yourself from title fraud. Before I jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. So as the borrower is filling out the app, it's automatically knows what documents to request. When the app comes in, when you go to hit submit, it pulls key data from the application for smart submission notes. And the entire platform runs very, very quick and fast and easy. Check it out at lendescom slash Finmo. And uh, check out this conversation with Rob. Hey, Broker Nation, we are live. Sorry we were late. You know, we're in the green room talking. I got my buddy Rob Campbell on here, and we're just going to talk mortgages. And if you guys have questions or anything you want to ask or throw at us, throw it in the chat. We'd be happy to chat with you. But before we get into that, Rob, what's happening, man? Absolutely nothing, Scott. I've got my first consultation for the Hair Club for Men this week. I'm super pumped. Other than that, I still am rocking the dad bod. And I mean, that's it. That's it. How about the you? Dad bod is the thing. I've seen maybe, you know, Facebook knows because they got these algorithms. So they know that, hey, you have a dad bod. So we're going to show you videos of people saying that they think that dad bods are great. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm getting positive reinforcement. You watch now because Google listens to everything after this broadcast, I'm going to screenshot every ad I get on Facebook and Instagram for dad bod improvement. Six pack abs at, you know, 60 years old. Grandpa's just crushing watermelons with his butt cheeks. I'm going to take like screenshots and upload them to this thread. It'll be amazing. It's going to be tremendous. So tell me about like, what are some of the things that you're noticing in the mortgage Also, don't edit year? out the crushing watermelons with butt cheeks in the video. Thank you very much. Go ahead. We won't. We're not going to edit any of this unless you go on a tirade dropping F-bombs. But even no, that, I just no, leave no, it no. in. No, no, no. Uh, tell me about what are you noticing right now this year versus last year? I actually like being alive versus last year. You know, this time last year, rates started to take off. It was the beginning. We had peaked real estate values in February of last year. So that was on a slide downhill. And much like a lot of brokers in our space, business just got the e-brake pulled on it and we scratched to a grinding halt. Yeah, there are some outliers in this industry that probably did fine, but I think the lion's share of people last year at this time were just like, I got, uh, I got nothing. The phone's not right. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. So to answer your question this year, it's picking up, it's picking yep. up, you know, it's a bit of a slow first quarter, slow in terms of like rubber to road funded files, cash in the bank, kind of slow 
obviously there's activity, but I found like the first quarter of the year was just kind of yeah, just shuffling paper, just shuffling paper yeah. around on the desk, right? Whereas now we've got purchase agreements signed. We've got financing coming in. We're closing, I was going to say deals. God knows there's an angel somewhere by the name of Dustin Woodhouse who hates when we say deals. Files get closed and we, you know, we're getting paid. So this year versus last year, it's positive. I think, uh, and I could just be thinking about the center of the universe, Ontario. I think the spring market was slow to adapt. And, and I think our summer is going to be the spring market. I think the summer is going to be busy. So kiss your kids, take them to racing or whatever you're doing there on Monday, instead of yeah. coming to see me and at the NBABC conference in Vancouver. And if anybody's in BC, please attend. I'll be there. I think the spring market's going to push into the summer. I think we're going to have a really good, listen, a million people, a million people come into Canada. Where are they going to live? Right. It's just going to push the market. People became mortgage brokers last year. <laughs> Almost. No, I think a million people left being mortgage brokers last year. Uh, right. on their way to filing for bankruptcy. No, I, I think that the summer is going to be busy. So that's what's going on right now. It's a great time. It's busy. It's active. I'm sure lenders are happy that deals are starting to come in because for the longest time, they were just like checking for a pulse. Yeah, exactly. You like, know, what like what's going on. Yeah. So like, how, yeah, do you stay, yeah. how do you stay motivated and not lose focus during the, I mean, now it's picking up again, but like even the last few months, what were you doing other than like crushing out memes and working on the dad bod? What things were you doing to like Oh, I was working on the dad bot. All right. In the, in the most negative (laughs) chips and beer positive, man. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's depends on what your superpower is. If you like hacking away at your keyboard, underwriting files, which to me is like chewing glass, then, you know, that's going to be great. And that's going to keep you motivated. Honestly, for me, like it goes back to that. I hate using Simon Sinek because it sounds so woo, woo, but like really is find what your why is for me. I've got my why. It's just make money, okay? And the more converse, <laughs> the more phone calls you make, I like talking to people. I'm talking to you. Right. You didn't have to bribe me that hard. You just like, hey, you want to talk? Right. And I was like, sure, I'm, I'm going to be able to talk. That's my superpower. Just do what your superpower is and what makes you feel good. And, and that's going to keep you positive. For me, like getting the deals on the door is one thing and then actually processing them and getting them back out funded is a whole different ball of wax. But yeah, that's what's keeping me motivated. Just try to provide value to, to your clients and just- Right, but you say, talk. so I'm touching this. You said your why is like making money, but I don't think it's, you're being funny, you know, because I don't think that's your only motivator. So what is your why? So like, because you got into mortgages, I don't know, quite a while ago, probably similar time to me, I think. I think we've been around, maybe you've been even before me. 13 years. Yeah, so I, I think I was like 16 years or something. But so what's your why to keep doing this? Like, you know, why not go work for a lender as a BDM? Because you could get, I'm sure you're well-known enough. You could get jobs doing lots of things where you could. It's the money, Scott. It's the money straight up. Yeah. Like no disrespect to our BDMs. Great people. A lot of them, some of them are horrible, should get out of the business, but a lot of them are great. Um, so I went through this. I went through this last year during COVID, but really last year as it started to grind to a halt. Like, what could I do? What do I want to be when I grow up, right? Because, right. you know, your famous question, who wakes up in the morning and goes, I want to be a mortgage broker when they're three. Like, nobody does that. No. What am I going to do? If people want to bitch and moan in this industry about, oh, that's so tough. It's so... Okay, what's tough? Like, you want to hop into a service van and go repair HVACs for a living and make 100 grand a year, cutting up your knuckles and going into people's disgusting basements to fix HVAC units? Go ahead. You're not going to cut a living like this. You're not going to be able to work on a beach on the other side of the world and talk to your client. You're just, no matter which way you slice it, this is Mm -hmm. bar none, the best industry to be in when it comes to compensation versus time. I'm a half wit. 
I mean, I, the education requirement is like, it, bingo. yeah, I'm an idiot. But I mean, together it, we're both half wits. So together we have a full wit. That's right. I just, I sat beside somebody really smart when I was writing my mortgage agents course. Thank God I was smart enough to change the name on the top of the test from looking over to theirs, um, <laughs> to my name. You know, like if I can scratch a decent living, anybody with a pulse can scratch a decent living, no matter which way you slice it. Effort in equals dollars out. If you are focused enough and find a sliver of happiness in this job to keep you going in this career, then the sky's the limit. You know, the sky's the limit. I, Scott, you talk to a lot of people. Okay. You've done a lot of podcast episodes. I've met people in person at conferences. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. Oh, yeah, great. And you talk. And then you walk away and you go, the first F bomb of the show. I'm sorry, everybody, if you're very religious or you, you haven't heard these words before in your life turn off the volume right now. You know, I'll have these conversations and I walk away going, that guy's a idiot. And he's doing $500 million a year. The guy, I'm surprised he's not wearing Velcro shoes because he doesn't know how to tie his own shoes, but he's cutting a living like it's crazy, right? So effort, focus, I mean, a plan, all of these things come into a great life for us to live in this industry. So when I say like, what keeps me motivated? I mean, it is. There are those tiny little mementos in our career where people call you or they email you or you get a thank you card after they move. I've mm -hmm. gotten gift baskets. I've had clients show up and give me little gift baskets and beer. I mean, that is amazing. And those are the moments that make this career so worthwhile, right? Right. Outside of the money. That's the impact. Outside of the money. Absolutely. The impact. It's great. But for every one of those, there's trying to get a lender to instruct to a lawyer on Monday when the deal's closing on Friday, even though you've been file complete for three weeks and you're scratching your eyeballs out going, what do you mean I'm trying to call you and it's a via IP office and your mailbox is full? I want to jump in front of a bus right now. I'm doing everything you're telling me to do and we can't get this thing instructed. I don't know what we're doing anymore. You know, so the thank you cards make those days bearable. Right. They make it different. I also see if you have awards behind you on the wall. So, you know, they're all uh, fake. Just go to the yeah. Staples Business Center. I had these made up in the last half an hour. I mean, it's, you know, we're living a show. Ron shame. Butler sent them to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I told I bet Ron a hundred bucks. I'd go to Staples Business Center and get a bunch of fake awards printed off. So there you go. Yeah, those look like they're from your company, but they're actually not ones you have to buy. I don't have a problem with awards in theory. It's just the ones where you have to pay to get them. That was my intention to the whole thing. So yeah, listen, yeah. let me tell you something about Reader's Choice. Stop with the Reader's Choice. There was a day, I'm old enough to remember when the newspaper used to show up and it had four or five full pages in the newspaper that you'd actually have to sit down on a Saturday morning with your pen and go through and go, okay. Johnny Bombat's chiropractor. We like him, right, honey? Okay, just put a little check there. And then you go through all these categories. And then you sign it and put your address. And you would actually have to mail it in to win. Now, it's an email campaign. You email your database. Hey, everybody, just please take a moment. And I mean, who are we fooling? A reader's choice. No disrespect for people. Who no, nobody's choice. reading it. But who's reading these things? Anyway, like even as a side note, who's reading this stuff? Okay, so what do you think are the challenges that we're going to see in the next year? So if you're looking ahead, like right now, I think the summer market, you're right, is going to be good. Where do you see challenges coming for brokers? Oh, man. So challenges. Bottleneck at lenders. We've got one lender that's completely out of the rate game. Uh, their competitor in their same league. I mean, again, it's like brushing your teeth with a blowfish to try to deal with some of these people to get these files, you know, funded. That's a problem. We need as many 
big lenders in our space as possible. Every night I get down on my knees and my PJs with my little sleepy toque with the little pom-pom on the end of my sleepy toque. And I take my vitamins like Hulk Hogan told me and I say my prayers and I say, please, for the love of all that's holy, please, God, please let Big Red become competitive again. So that's a bottleneck in our industry is, you know, when one is down, you know, we're kind of forced to go another way. And, you know, we need everybody in our space. It's just when one is down, the load gets taken on by the others. And that makes it a little problematic. I think inventory is going to be a super huge problem in Canada. I think values are going to be forced up again. I think we might even see a little bit of what we saw in 19 and 20 with $100,000 over asking. Look, people can't qualify. Like if I want to move to a bigger and better home, I got to convince some sucker to pay a million dollars for my home, which I today I wouldn't pay a million dollars for. And then I got to go and move to a $1.6 million home, qualify at a six or 7% interest rate. You know, these are all stack on problems that are going to make people not want to move. And when people don't move, houses don't sell. And when houses Mm -hmm. don't sell, the million plus people that are coming in every year looking for places to live, it's just a knock on effect. So I think that we're going to face a little bit of that problem. And then let's not forget, like, Osfi is in the closet with the door open just a little bit, right? They're just waiting mm-hmm. to jump out like, booga, booga, we got you, right? Posted <laughs> plus three or posted plus four, you know, like they're always there waiting, waiting and ready. That's a problem. I really hope our governing bodies like FISRA, I hope they just knock the shit out of wrongdoing in this industry. I hope, you know, if you forge docs or you've done this or done that and you get a little bit of a don't do it again on the wrist. Like, what is this even going to do? You know, the yeah. moron that's doing 500 million a year that I said should be wearing Velcro shoes because they could barely tie their own shoes. You know, they're making $5 million a year. What's a $50,000 fine? Let's talk about it. It's a cost of doing business. They don't it's even It's nothing. Care. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. It's a big deal. And then they'll be brokering again in a couple of years under somebody else. Like, so I hope our governing body really kicks the shit out of that stuff. Yeah, fraudsters. So I agree with you. Low inventory is a problem. Like, rising rates does not solve the low inventory problem. We just have people sitting on the sidelines. I was talking to Alex McFadden and he was showing me there was a property in Vancouver that had 52 offers on it. Now it was intentionally priced low to entice, but there's other ones getting 17 offers. So we're going back to multiple offers again in some of these markets. And it's because, oh, you know, inflation is slightly down. So we see a dip in inflation. We see the bank can saying we're going to put a pause on rates. And now the buyers who are sitting there, there are still qualified buyers out there, not everybody, but are going to be like, I'm coming back to the market. And so I think we're going to have a great spring, summer. And we can't solve the inventory problem with manipulating interest rates, I don't believe. Because there's fundamentally, you need to produce more product, but that means you need municipalities to turn around these things faster. Like They're not fast about you come up with a new development, you want to build a thing. Well, by the time it gets through all of the showings and stuff, that's not happening quickly. Then even if you get approval, then you got to find people to work. Like, where's the laborers? We don't have laborers to do the work. So then that takes forever. And so all of this is just creating a... Oh, and let's not forget, Scott, let's not forget the accidental fire, the week of closing with that whole subdivision going up in smoke, allegedly, right? Like, let's not forget about that stuff. Also, a great chart's been floating around Twitter about the stack on costs of government, whether it's provincial, municipal, or federal, you know, on average, they're making a-, a fortune off this. They're actually like between the transfer taxes, the municipal, every time you get development, what are they, what are they called? Uh, development surcharges. It's not insignificant. And so 
they it's also huge. don't have an incentive to change it, right? Because they're like, yeah, like, yeah. and um, heaven forbid, listen, there's environmental impacts, obviously, we need to be concerned about environmental impacts when we're talking about housing. But also, you know, this is a multi level government multi year problem. I voted for pretty boy JT in 15. And I don't even know what the hell I'm doing now. Like, but it's not just him. The point I'm trying to make is it's not just him. It's a knock-on effect for generations. You know, right. you go to other countries, they've got bullet trains going out to communities that are rural. They've got infrastructure. They've got a lot of stuff in place. We've been living a single detached home, drive up the 401 here in Ontario in gridlock lifestyle for a long time in Canada. I don't know. It's a problem that's not going to get solved. And that actually did an interview earlier today. <laughs> a pretty important guy, Scott. I did an interview. Dude, uh, all you do is interviews now. I, I just, I'm not even funding like, files. I'm just doing interviews all day. <laughs> and uh, that was one thing we talked about was, um, yeah, these numbers are just not going to stop. I'm very bullish on real estate because of that. Right. You know, what's interesting. I was talking to somebody recently about the impending population collapse in 2050. So they figure that China will be at 600 million in 2050. Yep. Keep in mind they're at 1.1 billion right now, but you're averaging one child per two people. Yep. And so in the West, fewer and fewer people are having kids or having fewer kids. Some people are opting out completely. Yep. And so we had this a few years ago. We used to think, oh, we're going to overpopulate the earth. We figure in 25 years, the population of the planet is going to be down, not up. And so yeah, we're, when, when we're I think about this, not yeah. that I I'm probably won't be, maybe I'll be in the game in 25 years, who knows, but what is that going to do to real estate? I think what's going to happen is there's going to be certain areas where people are going to still want to live. So high demand places will still do well. But there's going to be other places where the bottom will fall out of those real estate markets because nobody wants to be there. And if you have labor mobility on top of that and you have low population, real estate is not going to look the same in 25 years as today because of the population. The demand is going to go down, I believe. And so this is just I brought this up to a financial planner that I know. And I brought this up maybe a year ago. It was around you know the announcement of half a million people a year or 400,000 people a year. We've all lost count. But anyway, I brought this up. Because uh, I had the same idea as you. I'm like, well, maybe the whole reason of not really expediting all this growth is because they know in 25 to 50 years, there might be some ghost cities, you know, with inventory. And he brought this up and is really, really smart. He said, Rob, granted, the population of the world might not be 8 billion. Okay, maybe it's 5 billion, let's say 5 billion, right. which is a huge decrease. He goes, do you think all those people in countries in Africa or in India or in South America are going to want to stay in those countries that maybe their political choice is not as free as here. Maybe their right to have, you know, women having equal rights, voting rights, you know, just rights in general. Where do you think they're going to want to go? Right. And when he said that, it was like, man, it kind of makes sense. They're going to still want to come to a place that they've got a voice. Right. Right. So I agree with that's what why I saying. think it's regional. That's why I say that you're going to have some areas we're going to still see growth. There's going to be other areas where I believe we're going to see it's going to be down. I also heard the other thing with commercial real estate. So like in San Francisco, commercial real estate apparently is like 40 percent vacant. Like nobody's using them because everybody's working from home. And well, not like only that, but who wants to even yeah. go downtown San Francisco or L.A.? It's like the walking yeah. dead. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other thing. But I think that so you have these like, there's going to be some massive transition happening, I believe, well, in labor, in movement people. And so if I'm in real estate, I'm always going to be picking big cities like places like Toronto, stuff that people are going to in places like Canada, where people are going to want to move. Like if they open the doors, we'd get more people than a year in coming here. They could double or triple that because people would want to move here. Now, 
Absolutely. We couldn't handle, like, I'm pro-immigration. You know, I think net-net, we're better off having more people come in. I think a lot of times the first generation, without sounding in any way, you know, most first-generation immigrants are extremely hardworking. They're coming here for opportunity. And they're people that I would bet on all day long. I'd be like, those people, I'd be like, you let them in, they're going to do great things. And so I'm very pro-immigration. It's just, can we house everybody? And Well, this is very Canadian, working? Scott. This is very Canadian how you just said that, because I say it the exact same way. We like to pussyfoot around in Canada by saying, you know, I don't mean to affect. Listen, the fact is I am a product of two immigrants of Canada. Okay. My father was, he's a kind of quasi-Canadian, right? Because he was born in England. So he's kind of like a, he's a caker, but you know, he immigrated anyway. He got the shit kicked out of him when he moved here because of the way he spoke, even though he was right. English. He still got the shit kicked out of him. My mother immigrated from the Mediterranean. So my mother's Maltese. So again, Arabic, Arabic blood, Arabic tongue, again, made fun. Like, so I would agree with what you said. Like when you come to resolve in your homeland to drop everything and put what little you own into a suitcase and go to a completely different culture, it's no different than me selling all my fake awards on eBay, getting some money and moving to Sudan. Like, that's legit. Like, what are you even talking about? It takes an immense amount of courage to do that. Yeah. Where we fall prey here in Canada is we're so afraid of offending people by even just saying, hey, I think a million people a year might be a little aggressive, guys. And I feel like, even though I voted for the guy in 2015, I feel like supporters of a current political spectrum, we're getting way out of mortgages here, people, but that's just how I roll. I don't give a shit. Um, I feel like people will jump all over you for even having that conversation. And it's like, no, no, no. We all agree we need immigration because Canadians are not going to. We're going to actually, if you look at the population growth, we're going to decrease as a country right. in the 25 years if we don't right. have immigration. Right. So. And there's a lot of mortgage brokers out there doing their best to try to make tons of babies. But not this guy. <laughs> it's a problem when you have people coming here looking for a better life and then they fall flat on their face because they're working $15 an hour jobs. They've got nowhere to live. I mean, it's just a brutal struggle. So the federal government doesn't want to hear that. If you start having that dialogue, people start going, whoa, whoa you, you clearly hate people. Like, no, I yeah, don't actually. So here's the problem. So you got to talk about things in degrees. It's like, yes, I agree with you know this. At what level or what amount is the part you're talking about, right? Like, I believe that, you know, exercise is good for you, but you can't go run for eight hours a day and probably you would have detrimental effects on your health. Right. So there's like, we're not talking about, we're not saying that it's bad. We're saying that what is the amount of degree? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know that the people that are making these decisions are actually, they're not certainly no smarter than we are. I'm not saying that we're smart. There doesn't seem to be a lot of creativity or innovation around how we're trying to solve some of these problems. It seems like it's just, you know, dude, well, we're going to raise interest rates. That's going to solve. It's not going to solve anything. It's going to do nothing for the average homeowner trying to buy a house. It's kind of not going to help them in any way whatsoever. But yeah. In any case, I, I think it's no different in high level government than it is in high level, the corporate world. You know, what do they do in Japan? You're the president of the company. On day one, you start on the line with like you're the janitor. You're walking around. Don't cancel my caretaker, whatever you want to call it. They literally get to put their rubber gloves on and they get onto the line and they do the assembly work. This is the president of the company, global company, right. making the parts. Why are they going to make them do that? Because they want them to understand the worker, the worker's tasks, what the worker has to go through. So when you get government who are trust fund families, silver spoon, multiple homes, 
what the f- do they know about a single mom or dad trying to buy a dozen eggs at the grocery store? They don't know. They don't know what that's right. like. We got a leader who's trying to beat up CEOs of grocery companies and he's doing it with a Rolex on. Right. We're living in a movie. We're living in a movie. I don't know. What's- <laughs> it's, not, it's not a particularly good movie. So, uh, so what would you say like are some of the misconceptions or myths people have when they first get into the mortgage space? We have some, you know, there's still a lot of people interested in joining it because for all the reasons you said, so what are the things that if somebody was newer, would you be like, hey, you know, slap, slap, slap. This is what you need to pay attention to. I'm curious what you, how you'd answer that. Um, so I just had a phone call last week where a government employee called me wanting to get into the mortgage industry. I'm like, okay, you know, talk. They're in their late 40s. They have a full-time government job, almost 100 grand a year. They have a pension. Benefits. I mean, everything. They're able to retire. I feel like it was seven years. That would put them at around 55, I believe. And I said, well, what's the pension worth? Like your salaries, let's say 100. It wasn't 100. It wasn't quite 100, but let's say 100. Your salary is 100. Are you going to get like 30 grand a year pension? And they're like, oh, no, like 70 grand a year pension. And I'm like, till death? Yeah. I was like, why are we even having this conversation? Like to get your net on your base salary, Plus, well, base, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Plus, plus the 70 grand pension for life. If you're 55, what are you going to live to 85? Like that's 30 years of a pension. What are we even talking about? So listen, it's a fantastic industry to be in. I got into this industry 100% cold when I got into it. I left a blue collar job and got into this with no sales experience, no financial experience. It's been a difficult go. I can't imagine somebody getting into this industry now with no experience. If you've got banking experience or you're an entrepreneur, like you've got some hustle and you understand about time blocking your day and making your calls. And like, if you've got a database to work off of, right? I came in with nothing. I came in with no database. So it was extremely hard. To those people, I would say, man, like make sure you have a lot of money in the bank to burn through in that process. Cause that's going to be really, really difficult. Don't always look for the, you know, Best split is one thing, right? But if you're completely new to the industry, my God, you got to have a broker record that's there to answer your questions, or at least a manager who's mindful enough to answer your questions and concerns or underwriting Mm -hmm. help. I mean, all of this help. Every lender is so different these days that just going through- far more complex than when I started. Like when I started, it was like now there's all the different ways, like the rate sheets are complex. Like it used to just be like, here's our rates. There's like seven things on there, one to seven year term. And now yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. Well, it depends. What's your down payment? And is it insurable? That's right. And, That's and right. so it gets, you know, and then the guidelines, not only do the rates change, but what they can and can't do change based on where their money's coming from, right? Like, so if the money's coming from this pool, it means well, that you right. get this rule set of guidelines. And if it comes from this other pool and that, so then all of this just creates complexity for the average mortgage broker, which is why somebody like you or an experienced person can look at the file and you can navigate the maze quickly and be like, I got your solution. Someone else comes along and goes, shoot, I don't even know where to begin. So, yeah, yeah, it's very complex. And I feel like you can't be the jack of all trades anymore. I feel like there's just so much going on in this business that just coming in zero experience, my God, you're going to have a real, real tough go. I personally think it's not the way it used to be. I mean, to your point, investors, like you send in a rental worksheet and you get a call saying, doesn't qualify and you're like it qualifies i'm using the run oh that's not the right one for the investor on this file okay like where's the rolodex right. of 
how it's going to yeah, work. It's like, uh, what's that show, Bob Barker, you know, this wheel that he'd spin. Yeah, Price um, is Right. Right. Okay, well, how do you balance personal life, work, commitments, and creating memes for mortgage brokers? Like, how do you fit these three things in? <laughs> well, listen, the I memes... I think the memes are probably taking up a lot of time. <laughs> Just kidding. No, the memes, hours the memes, of memes are a and source of... Two hours of mortgages and, you know... The memes are like a source of distraction for me to keep that tiny little happiness. It's like creative. creative yeah. It's like going. being chained to a desk with a window and you're looking out the window, watching the birds outside in the tree. And you're like, God, if I could just be, that's my meme. Like the memes are the birds and the trees for me. So how do you balance work life? How yeah. Just don't answer email after. I mean, listen, if you want to live by these rules, you're not going to do that great. And when you are at the office, you got to be really focused on your time. Don't check your email after 5 PM or 6 PM. Don't open up your phone until 8 AM. Be very concise with your day track all your deals in a CRM so that when you are focused, it's all there in front of you. Have support, whether that's fulfillment or underwriting, or if there's a deal desk, like if you've got to pay 500 bucks to a deal desk to get your deals underwritten and packaged up together or whatever, do it. I mean, just do it. Do what you do best. That's it. That's me. I mean, I don't answer emails on the weekends. I don't take calls on the weekends. You know, Jake, rest his soul, he'd be doing Zoom calls at eight o'clock on a Sunday, but that's why he did a ridiculous amount of files a year, right? Like right. you got to pick your poison. For me, if the poison's too bitter, I'm leaving the office on Friday at 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. I'm not back at it until Monday morning at 8 a.m. I'm just not. Have an out of office on, direct people the way that you want to direct them and you just focus. If you want to work 20 hours a day, go for it. Knock your socks off. But, you know, you got to pick not your, your poison. Stick. Right. What do you nah. do to recharge outside of mortgages? So I know this is not going to be a different answer for everybody, but what's something that you do that's like, other than creating memes is like your little, which are extremely funny. You should have like a stand-up show or like a Rob's comedy group so, or something. If somebody just wants to pay me $500,000 a year to do that, you're in. I'll sign up exclusivity. Yep. <laughs> just got to find some sponsors, hair rugs for men or something. I don't know. What do I do? Honestly, man, I just how do you uh, recharge? recharge, spend time with my kids. Um, I like gardening, like vegetable gardening, farming. I think we don't spend enough time outside. Um, mm. And I'm not talking outside, like on your back deck, listening to your neighbor's country music and the kids screaming. And like, I mean, like get out into nature, no phone, no earbuds, no podcasts, nothing. Like literally walk on a trail, listen to your feet, hit the ground, listen to the birds, breathe in some fresh air or whatever it is you're going to do. Just get out. But when you're out, be out. Like don't listen to David Goggins screaming at you about, you know, going hard or whatever, just that's, get that's hard. What, yeah. That's what I do. That's what I do on my downtime is just, just try to recharge. Right. Yeah. yeah. I like hiking and I do some running. I usually do listen to a podcast just cause, but I'm not working. I'm just, for me, that's like a, one of the things I've done recently is if I get ideas as I'm walking or hiking, I'll open up a notes thing on my phone and I'll just talk the note out to be like, Hey, this is an idea for a podcast or this is something and I just drop it in there and I can keep going and I don't lose them. Cause I tend to, I'm like a, you know, squirrel. It's like, Oh, that was a great idea. And then it was gone. And so that's why I'm, I'm finding that's useful for capturing ideas as I'm on the go. But yeah, I thought about really that good. too, but I actually thought about going like super analog and having like almost like a little mini, like a pencil, like a golfer's pencil and notepad. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, like a golfer is like a caddy yeah. notepad. This sounds so ridiculous, but here's the thing when you're walking and you open up your phone, Next thing you know, you're watching a cat pounce on a kid in a snowsuit. And then, you know, half an hour later, you walk off a cliff because you're not paying attention. You know, just super analog. Like, it's amazing how empowering a to-do list is, even on your desk. Like, 
write it down. Don't open up an app or send a reminder, like just write it down and have mm-hmm. it in front of you. It's so powerful. Like analog is so powerful. Yeah. I think we're going to have a generation of kids, maybe not all, but that will come up and reject this total connection to technology and want to, because sort of like the kids always rebel against what the parents do. And so parents are always on devices. You're going to see kids go, I'm going to go to the office. I'm going to have a flip phone and you're not going to be able to text, you know? And so I feel like we will see some of that because the younger generation tends to always want to go the opposite of their parents and the parents live on their devices, like for the most part. So it's funny you mentioned that in our house, we have two teenagers. They both have flip phones. Right. But you know why? Because I don't need my 16 year old daughter looking at filtered women on TikTok thinking that her body's disgusting. And why can't she look like these supermodels who are fake, by the way? I don't need guys sexting my daughter on a smartphone or Snapchat or all this other bullshit. Both of our kids have Good flip phones. And you know what's happened, Scott? Is So when we go out as a family, we don't have our phones out. Right. What's the point of being out as a family? So when we go out as a family and even with their friends, like if they go over to a friend's house and they're having a get together, they notice all the friends are sitting around with their phones out, smartphones, right. except for my kids. Cause my kids are like, and you know what, if anybody's watching this, that's been out with me at a restaurant, at an event or whatever, you might know, like if I'm talking to you, Scott, and we're talking like this at an event face to face and you're like yeah. this, Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, and you're doing this with your phone. I'm the asshole that's going to say to you, what the are you doing? Hold on, hold on, Robert. I got to check my phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just walk away. I'll just go, what are you doing? Right. Are you an idiot or something? Like That's you funny. Know, yeah, it's just how it is. Right. So yeah, my kids have flip phones because of that. It's just like, you need a phone to call if there's an emergency or you need us to pick you up or coming home something early or up. whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever. Other than that, look at the poison that it does for us as entrepreneurs. We're wasting so much time in the day putting up stupid shit that... Uh, we could be actually focused and doing some productive stuff. Yeah. Agreed. I love it, man. That's fantastic that you've got that. You know, I feel like for me, my kids do not have flip phones, but it's like the horses out of the barn. I could get them back in the barn, but dang, it would be a fight to take them away. You probably, you did better by not even introducing them. So, okay. Well, last question. What are you doing at the MBA, CMBA, whatever, how BC are you speaking? Are you doing like a, a stand-up routine? What's the scoop there, man? Stand-up routine. So on Monday night at the MBA BC conference, there is a family reunion fun night. So it's the first conference that the organization has had in three years. And they thought, why not have a carnival style evening where you're there, you're attending, you might as well come back for the evening before going out later in the night for all of the festivities. So there's going to be some giveaways. There's going to be some prizes to be given away Monday night. There's um, a bunch of games to be played. There's widescreen karaoke. There's all sorts of stuff. And I'm kind of fitting the model of like a ringmaster kind of uh, carnival leader. Kind top of... hat? Maybe. <laughs> You're going to have to show up and find out. Yeah, I don't know. I, as I say, I've got, I've got, my son's got a thing that day. So, but he's not in the evening. So I'll, I'll just I'll lock around. your son in a room with some NyQuil and some cat food. He'll be fine. Just come on down. <laughs> Just oh come on goodness. down to the conference. Don't actually do that and don't sue me. Right. There's parenting advice. Get a flip phone and lock him in his room with cat food and a, would you say a cat food and a? Cat food and, and some NyQuil. NyQuil. Yeah, right. Thanks, Rob, buddy. Always good chatting with you. A pleasure. I will be seeing him sure soon at one of these upcoming events. All right, brother. Thanks everybody for watching, all three of you. And uh, if you like this episode, comment below in the I've Loved Mortgage Brokering group. And uh, thanks for everything that you do, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, brother. Bye for now. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks again for listening to this episode with Rob. Hopefully you were entertained and inspired just by his 
you know, creativity and just the way he thinks. In this next segment, I'm going to be talking to Reuven from Deeded about how to protect yourself from title fraud. Hey, Reuven, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me again. Hey, so today we're going to talk about the F word. Yeah. Dun, 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 fraud, not the F word, because we don't want to get an explicit rating. So I've noticed that they're hearing a lot more about increases in fraud and a lot more talk about title fraud lately. So why don't you explain what title fraud is, if anybody doesn't know, and then we'll jump into some of the, you know, I want to dispel some of the myths around it, but also help people protect themselves from getting caught in the middle of a mess. Yeah, you bet. I think uh, many people have seen, you know, the headlines lately about title fraud. Title fraud in general happens in different ways, but essentially it's an illegitimate party that essentially defrauds a homeowner either by selling a property unbeknownst to that homeowner. So that they don't own. They sell a property that they don't own. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. and it's happened a few times. I think, you know, there's been a couple of public cases where the homeowners were overseas. The home literally got listed on the market. Unsuspecting buyers came in, bid on that place, you know, signed a contract. I believe there was a case where people actually moved in and started renovating a place. And of course, you know, the homeowners catch wind of it. By the time they do, it's too late. And that property has been essentially legally transferred to somebody else. Um, scary. So what, scary. Okay, so let's say I'm on vacation. My house is sitting there vacant. Somebody comes along and goes, I'm going to sell Scott's house. And they look for properties with no mortgage, right? Was that usually the case? Um, it is usually the case, but if, I don't think it's the only- it's not exclusively um, to that, but like, because then it's more equity. If you're going to steal, you might as well steal as much as you can. And if it's got a 50% mortgage on it, you're going to steal half as much money. So like, and really, I'm not condoning this, but- so then they basically pretend to be the owner. They yep. get a listing agent, get an offer, sign it. And then they basically lie to the lawyers as well. And then they get through the payout. How do they get the cash? Is it just coming to check and then they put it in a bank? And then like, there's a whole bunch because you would have to have a bank account attached right. to that. right? Like everything, right? There's a fraud happening in a bunch of places there. Yeah. So, so I think the bottom line is, Scott, we're not dealing with you know, some amateur criminals, right? We're dealing with, you know, organized crime. We're dealing with highly sophisticated operations that, you know, have ID that's, you know, sometimes not even distinguishable or fake ID that's not even distinguishable from the real ones. And of course, yeah, setting up bank accounts down to, you know, credit bureaus and things like that to really have a chain of people fooled. If you think about, you know, the realtor, the broker, you're going to have an appraisal done. You're going to have a person, you know, the bank is got a bank account, right? Right, right, right. So a lot of those things really are arranged by these fraudsters, but essentially the outcome is that, you know, once they get the proceeds of the sale and it gets deposited into their account, typically a lot of that money, you know, goes offshore, gets converted to crypto and just, you know, disappears forever. I mean, that's sort of been some of the MO of some of these frauds. Now there's also different types of title fraud. And that's been, for example, someone taking out a mortgage or a second mortgage unbeknownst to people, or there was a um, piece uh, done by the CBC last week about renovation fraud. So people like literally knocking on the door of unsuspecting senior citizens, offering them some sort of renovation incentive. Next thing they know, they've got a mortgage registered on title. And of course, when they can't service that mortgage, there's a foreclosure. People have actually lost their home that way. So that activity or fraud sort of altogether as an umbrella, last year was the biggest year on record. There's about $530 million worth of fraud that was reported to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center. And you can only imagine- That's where it was reported though. So that's not even, I can't I, just be like, because if they knew it was, some stuff is fraud that they don't necessarily just find out right away. So 
Yeah. And, and, and you know what, some people don't report, you know, smaller frauds and whatnot, I think, because it's, you know, it's an ego or a pride mm-hmm. thing. So not all fraud typically gets reported to the uh, anti-fraud center. But just to put that in context, Scott, that's a 40% increase from 2021. So we're, we're seeing right. a massive spike and not only in property, but even... I was listening to a, uh, a webinar the other day. There's apparently a lot of fraud, even on automotive. So people are applying for loans, buying three, four cars on credit that doesn't belong to them. So fraudulent credit. And of course, you know, selling off those cars or shipping them overseas, uh, that's happening as well. So all in all, a pretty significant increase and a scary experience, as you would imagine, you know, our home for most of us is our largest asset and to wake up mm-hmm. one morning and realize that that home has been sold from under you or all of a sudden you've got you know $500,000 mortgage that you did not apply for you'd never took out mm-hmm. could be a damn scary thing oh totally so what happens i know the answer to this cuz i've heard it before but somebody doesn't know so let's say i'm a buyer i buy a property that was fraudulently sold to me unsuspectingly i move in i start renovating painting it and all of a sudden the real homeowners come back what are the ramifications for me as the buyer and for the seller well, ultimately, the situation needs to get untangled somehow, right? So it likely will start off with an investigation to find out what happened. Now, in most Canadian markets, we've got a product called title insurance, which I think most folks are familiar with. But of, yeah. title insurance also has a certain amount of coverage for fraud. So as the homeowner, in the case you just described, as the legitimate homeowner, you would basically have a claim where your title insurer will basically help you through the process, help you defend and go through the legal process of essentially getting your property back. And now if you're the buyer, and again, most buyers are completely unsuspecting. So imagine you're the buyer, you bought a place and you started renovating, it's your dream home. And all of a sudden someone knocks on your door one day and says, whoa, what, what are you doing to my house? My home. Yeah. Get out of my house, right? Same thing. And that's why we have, you know, title insurance and fraud coverage on title insurance. But of course, you know, these things are usually a mess to figure out, to untangle. And that process could take months, if not years to, uh, to resolve. So therefore from, you know, really, being able to identify and prevent some of those situations is always the best remedy for everybody involved, whether you're the mortgage broker, whether you're the realtor, there's certain things that could be done for us to be able to deter some of these frauds. Yeah. I'm thinking we're going to see more and more like requirements for doing mortgages, whether ID stuff, verification. So what about like, I've heard that since COVID that the fraud has increased. So why do you think that is? It's just, is it related to like virtual closings? You think that's part of it or what are your thoughts? It's not. So yes, it has increased through COVID because I think obviously COVID shifted the world into a little bit of a different place. However, from you know what I've seen and heard, it really has nothing to do with the virtual aspect of it. When you think about doing your closing virtually, I know from our experience, there's a lot more checkpoints when you are doing things digitally. So for example- And it's recorded too, right? Like- 100%, yeah. So like, I couldn't go and do this at like, but the more I eventually, I don't know if they have the technology yet, but like you can actually, whereas if I go into a lawyer's office, they may or may not have a recording of me visiting the lawyer's office and you sure they got my fake ID and stuff, but like there's a, at least in your scenario, there's a video recording of me meeting with the lawyer and talking and all that stuff. Yeah, and various, we call them digital breadcrumbs. So every time you log into a system, every time you take a keystroke or whatnot, all of that is logged and it's done throughout the process. It's not just a one and done deal. So every time you log into a system, things like your IP and location and things like that get uh, 
capture and of course run through some of these sophisticated algorithms that could potentially detect fraud. So in fact, you know, the whole notion that, you know, this increase of fraud is because of virtual is actually false. Virtual is a far more uh, secure and foolproof way than the traditional, hey, let me show you a piece of ID. You know, maybe it's photocopied, maybe it's checked by someone, but there's a lot of ID verification technology out there that's just very, very sharp and spot on in terms of identifying, you know, whether an ID has been tampered, whether if it's actually a real ID and that, you know, driver's mm -hmm. license number matches. Uh, thing is, is that if they have it, like, it's the data being stored in all these unconnected databases that creates part of the problem. I mean, like, if a lawyer, I don't know if you could search a ID database to confirm I've got an ID that this is actually, or even if it did it, it just did it behind the scenes, but then gave you a green check mark. Yes, this looks like the ID that we have on record of this person, right? Like, I don't know. So, okay, what can brokers do to protect themselves, you think, from this and their clients from this kind of stuff happening? A couple of things. I mean, one of the big things is really, you know, knowing your client, right? Asking them the questions, building a relationship with them will go far beyond just, you know, checking ID, for example, right? And asking questions, obviously, you know, trying to always keep a little bit of a skeptical eye in terms of what's happening. Like if it's someone that's, you know, got your name off of Google and they're asking all sorts of questions and they can't explain, you know, the background of what they're doing, you know, why they're mm -hmm. trying to refinance or why they're looking to buy something and close it within a couple of days, it could raise some suspicion. The other thing is really educate your clients. I mean, it's a great opportunity to reach out to your clients. A lot of, uh, Homeowners are now obviously, you know, hearing about this in the news. They're wondering what they can do to protect themselves. Again, title insurance is a great thing to talk about. A lot of homeowners that bought maybe four or five years ago or maybe a decade ago that may have built a lot of equity in their home due to price appreciation may not have the full coverage from title insurance because typically you need to go and buy Oh, so interesting. Endorsement, yeah, right? Yeah. So if your property value has gone up, is it based on the purchase price value? Like the Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I oh believe in every title insurer is a little bit different, but I believe it is based on your home insurance value. So let's say you bought a property years ago for 200K and now it's worth $2 million. You're likely not covered for that $2 million worth of fraud protection. So there's an opportunity mm -hmm. for brokers to reach out, educate clients on the benefits of title insurance and um, you know deciding to top up their policy, as well as, you know, create an extra touch point and talk about, you know, their future goals, their mortgage renewals, and so on. I wonder what it costs as you talk to a title person, like to go from like to increase your coverage from say 500,000 to a million. What is the cost of adding that money to your policy? You know? Yeah, I think it depends on the type of property, but it's fairly negligible considering the exposure, right? Of some of these fraud situations. Right. That's interesting. Okay. Any other sort of advice you have on this whole situation with the fraud thing that brokers should be aware of? Yeah, I think overall, um, there's likely a tide of change that's going to come to all aspects of the industry. I think, you know, it is becoming a pretty significant problem that not only affects the mortgage industry, but it affects, you know, real estate lenders and obviously Canadian homeowners. So I think we're going to see a lot more regulation and even guidelines in terms of what are some of the responsibilities of the broker community to identify fraud, to use some of the right tools to be able to deter fraud, like we talked about, and ultimately, you know, be part of the solution. Because at the end of the day, there's so many players and so many different touch points. And if we're all on the same page when it comes to what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to run our business, everybody wins, right?
Right, right, totally. So this is a fantastic conversation and definitely pertinent given what's happening in the market. So if you guys are listening to this, go check out Ruben's company, Deeded. You've been in the business only a few years now, but you guys have really, you know, taken a good chunk of market share and are growing like crazy. You have a fantastic experience for the borrower. You obviously on your side, you're going to do everything you can to protect from fraud for everybody involved. But yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you and we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks again, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening. And uh, hopefully you've got inspired, entertained by my conversation with Rob, as well as got some ideas from Reuven about the title fraud. If you're listening to this, I encourage you to go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. You can set up a free power search account and you can keyword search all of our past episodes, literally jump right to the episode where it mentions anything to do with, it could be title fraud, it could be to do with recharging, it could be to do with anything that we talked about and you can find exactly in every episode where we talk about it. The only trick I would tell you is make sure you go full screen mode because you can see it better and you can see the text because it's all transcribed as well. Check it out at ilovemortgagebrokering.com and thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.